Okay, so <clears throat> today I'm going to talk with about a pretty controversial point of view. And uh, you can tell from the title, it's Therapy Will Destroy Your Marriage. Now, with any kind of controversial clickbaity title, obviously, obviously there are nuances. This cannot be a general purpose truth. Like this, this is not the gospel, right? The gospel is the gospel. Um, and the second thing is it's really important with this statement, whether it's mine or anything else, that we separate the people and the professions from the underlying statement. I think a lot of pushback would be from those who um, maybe are actually therapists or want to be therapists or their family members are therapists. And, you know, let's, let's say that this is not an attack on those people. It may feel like that because we're really addressing some fundamental flaws from my perspective of uh, much of the training. And we've got to be open to that. That is in part of the gospel in the sense that we should always be searching for a truth. And that truth, when we embrace it, gives the ultimate betterment of life, which is eternal life, right? And peace on earth. And so if we believe that as Christians, we should not ever be held bound to any doctrine, including mine, other than the gospel. And we should elevate anything that promotes, leads to, or is derived from the gospel. And so I'm not going to be 100% right, but like with anything, Thessalonians, take that which is good. And then you can discard the rest. But I want to say before I go further is set aside any prejudgments. Because let's say you are a therapist. And let's say there is actually some truth to this. Is it that more important for you to hold on to your belief that it's helping people and ignore what does appear to be growing? It's not incontrovertible, but growing evidence that it might not actually be right. And more importantly, to really ask yourself if what you're doing is in service of the gospel, which is in the end, we have to rest on no matter how good we are, no matter how good our practices, no matter how um, specialized we are in XYZ modalities, the only thing that can possibly transform people's lives in a meaningful way has to have a derivative of the gospel. Now, I actually think... I actually think there's great potential for those who are coaches and therapists who are, who are you know, um, soaking into the gospel to actually have more impact, perhaps bring more people to salvation, actually bring people into a far greater sense of peace and well-being in their lives than pastors. Because, and this is probably another topic, the reality is most pastors are teaching instructional content around the meaning and definitions with some light application of a scriptural passage. That isn't really how people live, nor is it how most people think. The way we people live is they look at their lives and say, what is the truth? I like to read scripture in a scholastic fashion of what does it mean, what does it do, but always from the angle of, but wait a minute, does that reveal something that is applicable in real life? Is the truth, the underlying truth, and there actually something that reveals a more applicable,
applicable truth. And, and sometimes bad scholarship starts with the desired applicable truth and then goes back to the scriptures and everyone has to be cautious of that. I, I am totally aware of that. I probably do it from time to time too. And so I'm, I'm laying forward, there are some potential fallacies in my presentation as well. But the fact that I'm willing to highlight them means at least I've been checking for them and searching for them and seeing if there's an issue. So I'm going to start, first of all, with an example of why the therapeutic model is not great for marriages. So when I had a therapist, I actually did not want to start with a therapist. I went to a pastor who was a marriage coach with my wife, and we said, hey, we need help in communicating. We're having tough discussions. It's best for you to be with me. And let's discuss Let's discuss them together. If there's a conflict or an issue that I need to work on, we do it together. The reason why I believe that's the case is because I believe much of the scripture is about a confrontation. If you look through the scriptures, and we'll go into the actual scriptures in another section, but there is actual confrontation, meaning people are facing each other, particularly Paul as he journeys through the Pauline letters where there's a, a conflict. But even in the Old Testament, there is conflict between people that are facing each other with oppositional, um, sort of oppositional intent to, to work things out. And then the most important one in many ways is this relationship with, with, with God. It is a confrontational one in the sense that we are interacting with Him. It is not some solo activity where we look within ourselves and try to have something. Now, I think that when you separate a husband and wife from the context of in continuing to conflict, you're actually taking out the essence of what you want to resolve. You want to see the conflict in real action and say, hey, I think I can realign that. What happens when you split people up and go into therapy is you end up just complaining more and more about the other person, what doesn't work. And in my case, a therapist would nod and say, yes, you're right, it's not going to change. How's it going to change? It's never going to change. Which was very disheartening. Now, part of the intent, and I think there's a 30% that is applicable, is, okay, those parts which you can't get from your wife or your spouse, how do you get it from, in his case, even though he's a Christian, from, from yourself. But I think it is fair to say, and the church doesn't do enough of this, how do you pause and say, okay, I am missing this, but God is my full portion, and, and the Holy Spirit is my true companion and comforter. How do I grow in relationship to the Holy Spirit? And instead of seeking a human, spend time with the Holy Spirit in prayer and in devotional and in um, the other ways that you are connecting with the truth that's based in Scripture. And so that part actually was good. But I said to him multiple times, that's great, fine. I don't need all the answers. I don't need complete comforting. I don't need her to be my complete counselor. But at some point, I need someone who I talk to about the day in my life and sharing what's going on in an interactive manner. And his response was, well, you got to get it outside the marriage. You got to go to some men. And I was like, 
Well, A, men aren't exactly going to fulfill this need, this emotional connection need, because they're men, and men have their own problems. So that's not going to be good. Says, yeah, you're right. Most men are not going to be great, you know, sort of emotional companions. And then I said, B, the other part is they're men. There is something inherent about a man that needs a type of interaction with a woman. And it can be very simplistic. It can simply be just the feminine tone of voice, the feminine choice of words. Like, I, I really do believe that you could have an almost identical content of discussion between a man and a man and between a man and a woman. And I believe, I don't have any proof of this at all. I, if I had time, I would go and look into this. Um, that there would be something that changes within the man at a psychological, perhaps even a physiological level. I mean, we know that there have been studies. This particular study was a little bit more focused around men with younger women and the increase, dramatic increase, like 21% increase in their testosterone. And then if they're in presence in front of, I can't remember whether it was an uh, older woman or a man, but whatever it was, it was clearly illustrating whom we're interacting with on a physical level, like conversation in the context of, that one is in the context of dating, can actually affect our chemistry. So his suggestion to suggest with men wouldn't work. I then said, well, I can't get it from a woman in person because that alone is already a breakage in the marriage. And so I said, well, I want it to be a woman, but I need to be safe. I mean, I don't have any physical activity. I don't want to be any way to get in touch with them. What about women? Like 6,000 miles away in another country. And they don't even speak the language. So there's always going to be an inhibitor to the free flowing of communication. But it's just going to be sort of very superficial conversation. And he's like, okay, fine, just do it. That is, I think, the therapeutic model. They're trying to like assert you and um, empathize with you, but that isn't really the right thing. That isn't really even the nature of the gospel. Like I would lament, oh man, I had a really tough conversation with my wife. I just didn't, I'm not really feeling heard. He's, yeah, you know, it's just not going to happen. That's tough. But had we been in the room together with a qualified person that has a different mindset from the therapeutic mindset, they, we would have, and I developed this on my own, been a way to work through that missing piece, that missing need with each other. You see, when you have people that should be one flesh, which is marriage, they should, in as many situations, be treated as one flesh. I do not see a case unless the mere fact they're in the room is indicating that they are going to make their one oneness worse, meaning they fight, they hit. The presence constantly triggers the other person, so they can't even talk. They're not safe. Okay, I would argue they aren't even one. But I would say the vast majority of problematic marriages, they, at the end of the day, they probably have 
a sense of oneness is just fractured or sensitive or on the verge of breaking, um, um, unstable. And so to me, anything that separates that oneness for the sake of individual therapy is going to violate the oneness. And that's what happened with us. We spent a couple of weeks apart. We weren't talking and uh, things just got worse. Nothing can get better between two people in a marriage when they're spending separate time complaining about each other. It, it, I can't see how that would work. However, the therapeutic model has such a grip, even though I went to the pastors and the therapists says, I don't think this is the right model. I want us to come together. I want us to be in the same room. I want you guys to help us to solve these communications. The response was an overwhelming no. And here's what the response was. And I actually do have to credit this author. Um, uh, I think her name is Lauren Doyle. I have to go back and check it. Um, but she put me on to this one in one in her book, which is written for women to restore their own marriages. And she said, yeah, you know, this, these therapists, I don't think they're going to really help you. In fact, I predict that if you go to therapists, they're going to ask you to like, look at your childhood trauma and your parent relationships. And you got to spend time exploring that. I was like, ah, oh, that's, totally doesn't make sense. But guess what happened when we went back? The response was, yeah, Tim, you got to focus on your childhood trauma and your your um, family of origin. And you you got to get all that before you can come together. And I told the therapist, we could be years mining the kinds of family of origin problems that I have. I got to work on my marriage now. We're going to be years doing this other stuff. Ah, you just got to get more whole before you can do this. That is what I mean by the therapeutic response. And the reason why, and there's probably a lot more history I could do in this, but my very cursory knowledge is much of it is about the concentration of the self, whether it's Jung or whether it's Freud. I think those are probably the, the grandfathers of it really trying to have the therapist have some relationship with the person. And even the more modern ones around attachment therapy, it's still centering on the person, the individual, and trying to find the need. Now, I think the Jungian and Freudian really wants to know your past and your origin and your hurts and your dreams and your, and, um, your nightmares and, and your fantasies. And just, it just they try to get into all the stuff which is yourself, all of the thoughts, all of your heart. And I don't think you're going to get anything useful because the heart is deceptive and it is wicked. And so going in and plumbing the depths to understand it, I mean, who can understand it? So when we go back to the scriptures later, we'll start to understand that if we begin with the premise that the heart is wicked and it's deceitful and it's beyond understanding, why do we spend so much time plumbing its depths? It's almost perfect for sustaining an industry so that you never 
stop. It's constantly changing and deceiving. In and of itself, there will be no goodness found within it. It can't ever be understood. So that's almost the perfect model for business of entering therapy and never leaving because it's focused always plumbing the depths of your heart. So that's why I think the therapeutic model in itself is flawed, especially, especially for marriages. Now, again, there are certain cases where it does matter. It takes specialty to deal with it, special illnesses, certain types of trauma. I'm talking about the 80 to 80% of marriages aren't in that phase. It's just the fact that we're messed up people with various degrees of patterns and thoughts and histories connected with another messed up person. And the therapeutic model says, take these messed up people, separate them, have somebody who is not the other person's spouse go in and try to stir up and often affirm the messed upness in there so that the person feels empathized but when you reinforce a wickedness and a confusion and a deceptiveness, you're elevating the self and it's never, ever going to lead to anywhere if you believe the gospel. If, however, you have continued to conform to the ways of the world, they do make the self their God. And yet, Christian therapy has ingested or you could say has been inculcated by this therapeutic model, and it doesn't work. So what is an alternative? And again, I think it is the gospel illustrates some of this. Jesus himself didn't come to man and say, you guys are great. Tell me more about all the crap in your life, and it's just so wonderful and gooey and and wonderful and it's wonderful that doesn't happen there's a there's, there's a couple pieces to the gospel that I think is mirrored in a much better approach we're going to talk about that the first part see does not glorify the self in no way does it do it he is confronting and saying there's something not right here and you got to pull it out, put it on the table, and say, this doesn't look right. Something going on with your thinking, and I hope you can turn from it. Turn away from it. The second thing is marriage is seen as that covenantal relationship between Christ and the church. The scriptures and God want them to be bound together in this covenant, no matter what. So it is reflected in marriage. Therefore, to me, the right modality is husband and wife in the same room if they're willing to be. Now, there's, I'm going to talk about scenarios where they don't want to be, and that's a problem but it should be in the room together, right? 
anytime it's separated, a separation is mostly, for the most part, except for the reason I said before, a weakness. Now, if it's such the case that they're going to hit each other in the room, that is obviously weak and they should be separated. But, but, but short of those things where the fact of being in the room breaks it. They don't want to be in the room. They want to kill each other. But most marriages are, hey, we want to be in the room. We can't stand each other when no one's here, but we're going to be civil enough to talk. And when he says something, I'm going to be upset. And she says something, I'm going to be upset. But somebody's going to be able to help form that reconciliation. Someone's going to help us to pull the planks out of each other's eyes. Somebody is going to be there to transform what is said in a different way from how it's being heard. That is not the therapeutic model it's talked about. The therapeutic model, if they are in the room, is what do you think? That person says, oh, that person doesn't, I don't like it. Well, what do you think of that? Oh, that person, I don't like it. And then it invites this fight, and then you just come back, and you like leave angry. The gospel model is, hey, there's a truth here. And, and the, the way to do it is somewhere in there, you're probably both wrong. And guiding people to have the tools to see that and then forgive each other and then reconcile. That is not typically found in the therapeutic model. Because who's the center of it? It's going to be the self. You may be two people in the same room, but it's, well, you have your opinion, and you have your opinion, and I value your opinion, and your opinion is also equally valid. And so you're both equally valid in hating each other. I think the therapeutic model has issues. It's creating a world about the self as opposed to the truth. It doesn't seek to find reconciliation seeks to empathize and elevate. I think when we look at it, we've got to actually ask ourselves, if we're being healed by something that runs counter to the very essence of the healer himself, in this case, Christ, and his model of dying in a way so that they could be, become restored to him and to God in his glory, we've got to be skeptical of that healing process itself. And so I want to leave that as some initial food for thought as you think about this. The next time you go into therapy, you think about therapy, you hear someone from therapy, think about the essence of the typical therapeutic model. And if you're thinking about a marriage or you're in a marriage, or you're thinking of marriage, you have to ask yourself, how do you want things to be solved? How do you want yourself to go into this form of recovery and healing? Separate, which already implies you're not one, or as one.